This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Space travel represents the future of human exploration. Humanity has long been fascinated by the universe and all that is out there. Proponents of space exploration believe that it also has the potential to change life right here on Earth. Space exploration can herald innovations in research and technology that can improve the quality of life for people everywhere. Space travel and exploration can potentially remove barriers between people. Now, a group of people is working to remove barriers to space exploration itself. It's an exciting opportunity to consider that people with disabilities, for instance, can travel to outer space as valuable members of the crew and groundbreaking researchers. Today, we discuss disability and space travel. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joyita Gupta and this is our very first episode for 2022. So a very happy new year to all of you. On The Pulse, we wanted to get the new year started with a bit of a bang. Now, every so often on the show, we've had episodes talking about making astronomy accessible to people with disabilities, particularly people who are blind and partially sighted. And in the same vein, I'm really pleased to welcome my next guest to the program. Sherry Wells Jensen is an associate professor of linguistics at Bowling Green State University. She told me that although it is very much in its infancy, she is in fact working on a book dealing with disability and space travel. And she also happens to be an ambassador for Mission Astro Access, which wants to break down barriers to space exploration for people with disabilities. Sherry, welcome to the program and a very happy new year to you. Thank you, and Happy New Year to you and to everyone. It's a delight and an honor to be here. I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but how does a linguist come to be interested in space exploration? (laughs) Well, okay, so you've all seen the movie Arrival, right? Uh, The movie where the aliens come to Earth and, oh, we can't understand one another. What do we need? We need a linguist. Every linguist wants to be that Amy Adams character in Arrival. I mean, please, when the black helicopters come, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Um, (laughs) And and so I I think if you come up, if you come up with just a basic interest in general science, or for me, it's always been physics and astronomy. Mm -hmm. uh, And then at some point as a linguist, it uh, will occur to you that language and linguistics uh, go together, right? And so, so, so there's a way of doing science and being interested in language, which is doing linguistics. And there's a way of doing astronomy, physics, and linguistics uh, together, which is to be interested in messaging extraterrestrials, uh, message construction. So how would we build a message that they could understand, regardless of what their bodies are like or what their sensory systems are like? Um, And then once I started in that line of research, I realized that we have some serious issues that we need to talk through as a species about who is going into space and how humanity is going to represent ourselves in space, whether or not we meet aliens. Who are our ambassadors? Who are the people that we want to send boldly out uh, into first Earth orbit and then beyond? 
So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it feels to me like a natural progression, but perhaps your mileage will vary. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's an interesting point because I was, just as you were talking, I was thinking, well, who is it that comes to mind? And often it is, you know, a white, able-bodied man, blonde, blue-eyed. That's the kind of person I can see going into outer space. But obviously... Forgive me for stating the obvious here, but obviously it's, that's not humanity. I mean, there's so much diversity here. So draw the line for us. What makes a person with a disability a valuable addition to the crew of a space traveling like to a mission? I think some people say things like, despite your disability, you're valuable. But that is not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about whoever has the skills is necessary in space. Whoever has the creativity, the drive, and the passion for exploration and for doing amazing, joyful, new things, those are the people that we need in space, all of them. We cannot afford to lose anybody. And some Mm -hmm. of the people with those qualities are disabled people. And as as we all know, living with a disability is is, rather an art form, right? You don't just Mm -hmm. walk through the world without thinking about what you're doing, right? We are always innovating. We are always coming up with the fix or with the workaround. We are always in positions that we don't expect. I don't know about you, but almost every day something happens to me out in the world. Mm -hmm. I think, wow, I've never thought of that. That's interesting. Either in meeting with other humans, you know, why would you say that? Why would you do that? Or just, oh, in my case as a blind person, this is an interesting intersection that I haven't ever crossed before, even Mm -hmm. though I've crossed tens of thousands of intersections sometimes there's one that comes up and you think Ooh. so um disabled people have that built into our lives built into the way we live and move in the world is that mm-hmm. is that joyful wicked cleverness that fiendish thought of how am i going to get around this because this isn't going to stop me um and just that ability to think quickly and to uh to work it out with other people, which we also have, does in some ways give us a, an emotional cognitive edge, I think, and sets us up to be the kind of humans who are really going to be valuable in an environment that is not built for anybody. So far, space isn't really built for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So in that environment where the environment, in the place where the environment is hostile and you have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, a person with disability training is kind of ideal, really. So tell us a little bit about Mission Astro Access. What's the origin story there? Okay, this is a great story. So um, once upon a time, there was a young astronomy graduate student named Anna Volker, and they were really interested in STEM access and had and have a passion for inclusion. How, it's just just that basic sense, just that ground level basic sense that it is not just that some people have a harder time enjoying a career in the STEM fields than other people do. So people with disabilities have, there are some systematic barriers in place. And so Anna, who is a marvelous sparkle of a human being, met George Whiteside, who is ex who used to work for NASA and uh, Virgin Galactic. And they just met at a conference and Anna said to George, hey, why don't we do a cool thing? What if we send a bunch of disabled people on a 
zero-G parabolic flight to see sort of how that goes. And so we can gather some data about disabled people in space. And instead of saying to Anna, uh, no, that's a dumb idea, forget it, uh, George said to them, um, send me an email. And so they did. So Anna sent George an email, and it was just basically one of those, gee, so nice to meet you. Um, hi, remember me? You want to do this thing? You said that you might be interested. And George, who is also an amazing sparkle of a marvelous human being, said, well, let's make a group. Let's talk about it. And so, uh, golly, about what? A year and two months ago-ish? I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly. Um, I got a I got a, an email from Anna, and they asked me if I would be interested in um, helping out with this. And after I picked myself up off the floor and got done screaming with delight, I said, well, yes, of course, I'd be most interested. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, and so that was fun. And, and George, uh, who is a, a genius collaborator and knows a lot of people who are both wicked smart and kind and thoughtful and intuitive, we started, he started putting together a team and, uh, Anna and George and we, we gathered up more folks as we went. And before we knew it, we had the contract with uh, the Zero G Corporation and we all kept pinching each other thinking, this isn't going to happen. Is this really going to happen? And we were, no, we're not. Yeah, really? We're gonna? Okay. Um, and it came together. And uh, with the generous financial help of the Fight Side Foundation and uh, a lovely group of partner organizations, we put the thing together. And it really, and it really happened. I, I think we're still pinching each other, but it really happened. Yeah, no, and you know, it's such a small world we live in because Anna Volker was a guest on this program. Oh, geez, I'm racking my brains thinking how long ago was it? But you're right, an absolutely marvelous person and a, was such a great guest. But I digress. So you mentioned the Zero-G Corporation and a parabolic flight. Now, for those of us who aren't science people, which is a lot of us, can you describe what the experience of this flight was like for the people who took who participated because it it took place in october of last year 2021 so it's been a while back but just give us the lowdown of what that was actually like okay so here's the thing this is physics meets joy right here this is the most amazing experience uh that i've ever had so so here's what you do you they have a uh, the zero corporation who were wonderful to work with very excited about the project really fine human beings just uh, a delightful group of people all around. They have a modified 727 aircraft. And what they did is they took the seats. This is think, picture a regular airplane with rows of seats, right? They took the seats out of the first part of the first, you know, two thirds of the airplane and replaced all those seats with, uh, with pads on the floor and walls and ceiling. Think about if you remember being in high school gym, you know, the mm-hmm. wrestling mats that you might have had there or uh, gymnastics mats. And so, uh, so you've got this big, wide open, well, it's, you know, it's what, like uh, seven foot tall, 10 foot wide and about 66 feet long, kind of big padded tube. Right? So uh, the, the, the width and height of an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you, they put the people in the seats in the back, we all buckle in, it's just like a regular flight, no big deal, you're taking off, you're thinking, this is no big deal, we're just flying over, we went out over the Pacific. They do these out uh, over water. Uh, and then at some point, they, you get up out of your seat and you walk to your designated place 
in the front of the aircraft and you lay down on your back on this padded stuff. And then what the airplane does is something uh, that you hope your domestic airplane <laughs> never does. They begin accelerating at an as steep angle upward. And so, you know, that feeling that you have when you're pushed back in your car, when the car accelerates, mm -hmm. um, that's a small taste of what we got. So that's maybe what point three G it's not very much, right? It's just, you don't, you don't feel double your weight, you do, but you do feel yourself pressed back. It's more like a, a medium roller coaster. So we, we pulled about 1.8 G laying on our backs, which made us feel about double our own weight. It was kind of shaky. It was very loud. It sort of felt like where you, that was the moment where, where if you're me, you have this, why am I doing this thing again moment? Because <laughs> it was loud. <laughs> and it was, it was not just a smooth acceleration. Um, it was a little smoother than your average roller coaster, I guess. But you're laying on your back and you're not strapped in, all of which is mm -hmm. weird. And then the plane flies up and it, what it's going to do is fly a series of parabolas or arcs. So it goes up into the air and then it makes a curve up over the top. It levels off and then it dives down, dives, swoosh down towards the ocean. And so mm -hmm. as the plane is diving, uh, what you feel on the inside is this. You feel the plane begin to tip forward as it goes into its dive. And if you're me, again, you start thinking, Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I don't want to panic and I definitely don't want to throw up and this is going to be really scary. But then suddenly, just when you think that maybe you're about to slide down and crash into the front of the plane, the bulkhead in the front of the plane, and you're going to cry for your mama, just when you start to feel like maybe, then all of a sudden, I remember laying there on my back on the ground and I suddenly thought to myself, well, I'm glad I'm not sliding forward anymore, but wait. How did, how did air get between me and this mat? How can mm -hmm. air, how can air do that? What, what the heck is happening here? Um, it didn't feel like anything. It just felt like suddenly air could support me. Uh, and then I let go of the mat and then suddenly there was touching nothing, touching wow. nothing. Can you imagine touching nothing? Like no feeling of, as you sit, as you sit listening to this, you know how you can feel supported by the chair or the bed or the floor. Mm -hmm. If you're standing, you feel your feet pulled onto the surface of the earth. That all of that feeling is gone. Wow. It's like being in water, except that even in water, you can sort of feel that pull, and you sort yeah. of know that your head is up and your feet are down. Yeah. But there was no up and no down. Wow. Ah, oh. and so there we were. <laughs> there we were for about for about. 15 to 20 seconds while the plane was diving down toward the ocean. Uh, and then, and then you hear the call, you hear the coach yell, feet down, coming out. And that is when the pilots have determined that y'all, we've gone down long enough. We reached about 10,000 feet above the surface of the water. And, you know, there's no reason to cut it close. So they start pulling up. Um, they end the dive, right? They pull up. And mm -hmm. what you feel then is the gradual return of gravity. And that, that's kind of a chaotic moment because all of a sudden you feel that, wait a minute. Oh, wait, that way was down. Okay, hang on. <laughs> I'm going to fall. Um, but it, it happens smoothly enough that mm -hmm. it's not scary. But you do feel a certain amount of urgency because the coaches are 
hollering at you <laughs> to please, you know, no more flips, no more standing and no more trying anything crazy. Just, uh, you know, work your way back down to the ground, everybody, please, if you don't mind. And then you try to get yourself situated on your back again so that you can do that whole marvelous, wonderful, joyful, amazing, impossible thing uh, again. Wow. Kind of what it's like. We often... We also did a couple parabola. We did one parabola that felt like uh, just to get us used to it, of of Martian gravity. So you felt like you were pretty light on your feet. But we also did two uh, parabolas after that of lunar gravity, where you weighed about one sixth what you might weigh. Mm-hmm. Um, and for any of you who are able to see the the moon landings and watch the people walking on the moon, they do they they apparently walk funny. They kind of do a bunny happy walk awkward thing. Uh, but boy, lunar gravity is fun oh if i could do anything again i would live on the moon because um (laughs) you are every ninja warrior you are every fairy princess you are every uh, wood nymph in the world and you are strong and you are graceful um and gravity doesn't bother you at all except that it's there so you're not completely disoriented uh it was a a couple of the uh, wheelchair users on a on the on the flight had interesting experiences of their bodies in lunar gravity. They were able to do things that uh, they gen- they can't do in the heavy gravity of Earth. So it was isn't it fascinating? It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so much fun. I'm talking to Sherry Wells Jensen, who is associate professor of linguistics at Bowling Green State University and an ambassador for Mission Astro Access, uh, which endeavors to make space travel inclusive and accessible for people with disabilities. But Sherry, tell me a little bit. It sounds like it was such a cool experience for you and for the other people. But what is the value of something like this for research and maybe for the development of technology? How might it help people with disabilities in the real world? That really is the essential question, right? Because if all we wanted to do is prove that disabled people can stand a shaking, we would have just packed everybody into a bus and taken them to the nearest uh, amusement park and put everybody on a roller coaster Mm -hmm. uh, because you get fractions of seconds to zero gravity there. Or if we just wanted to have everybody to have fun, then we would not have bothered doing any training. Um, There's lots of ways to have fun. And this is an experience that is literally something that 99.999, take it the nines you want, percent of humanity never gets to do. So it is not something to do uh, just to make, just to amuse you on a Sunday morning, right? It's really Mm -hmm. important that if you use resources like that, that you have a good reason. So our purpose, was to begin gathering the data that we need to make space vehicles and habitats accessible. So for Mm -hmm. example, what do we know about how American Sign Language is different if you can float upside down with relationship to each other? Is it, are you still intelligible? Or what if um, you you sign and your signing movements uh, because you're floating move you about the cabin? How, Mm -hmm. for example, will a person who is a wheelchair user who has no voluntary control over leg muscles, how does that person manage their legs in zero gravity? You don't want your legs just to flap around behind you. What, what do you do? And how do you uh, maximize the benefit of maybe perhaps being a person without a lot of muscle mass in your legs? If you're a blind person, how do you stay oriented? How do you keep track of where you are? So any of these innovations in accordance with 
accessibility design in accordance with with universal design. Anything that we we, are, we figure out that makes a habitat more comfortable and accessible to a disabled person will also make the environment safer and more convenient for everybody. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that gravity works sort of cognitively is that any advancement we make in space falls back to Earth. So anything that we learn about accessibility and about new technologies that uh, are applicable to outer space fall back to Earth, just like uh, space travel, uh, space adventures have brought us um, GPS and weather Mm -hmm. satellites and global communications. Anything that we discover while we're doing this work um, is applicable to life on Earth. And also, just as a side benefit, and I'm smiling because I don't think of it as a side benefit at all, but maybe one of the main points, if disabled people can be astronauts, how dare anybody tell us that we cannot do any other job that we might decide that we have the drive to do? It is, it is a game changer, not just for technology for disabled people, but opening this particular door. If we do it cleverly, um, opens doors for disabled people on Earth, widens our possibilities here as well. Do you know if Astro Access is planning any future flights, or is that still a theoretical possibility only? The flight that we took in October of 2021 was flight one. We anticipate and plan for subsequent flights. This seems like a trite question to ask because, you know, you can really hear the passion in your voice and how, how much joy this has brought you. How has this experience changed your outlook as a person with a disability? Do you see possibilities where you didn't see possibilities before? In some sense, yes, and in some, no. Um, I'm a reasonably confident person. You know, I have, I have the job I wanted. I feel, I feel like everything is going fine. But, and, when I walk through the airport, people still treat me like luggage, right? It's, I'm still a problem in every airport I've ever gone through whether I acquiesce to, uh, you know, get the guide or whether I decide to walk through the airport myself, I'm still treated like I don't belong there. Uh, And one of the things that this experience has done for me, which makes me quite sad, actually, is it lengthened, it hugely expanded that gap between what I know disabled people can do and how we're sometimes treated. It's always been a gap, right? You always know that that any, every disabled person knows that sense of being treated as if we are not as capable as we know ourselves to be. But when you raise that ceiling a little bit, no, wait, when you raise that ceiling a lot and you suddenly have firsthand knowledge that disabled people can be astronauts, not just, oh, wouldn't it be nice or we theoretically should be, but when you really have had the personal experience of floating in microgravity that 99.999% of humans have never done, and you know that you've done something ex- gen- genuinely extraordinary, that gap between your ability and how you can be treated sometimes, it's a kick in the head. It's, it increases, I think, the sadness and the urgency of the work that we have to do, in my mind, to... Uh, to, to make the world a different place and to benefit disabled people and the non-disabled as well by making the world genuinely more open and more accessible. So it was metric tons of 
fun. And I fell in love with my teammates and, uh, and, and the crew. And it was beautiful. It wasn't just all about the joy, right? It was also about what it's like to come back to earth after that. And how do you wrap your mind around such an extraordinary universe we live in where you can be so joyful, <laughs> so incredibly joyful, and so profoundly sad and angry sometimes at how the world can also be. So I, I feel I feel just maybe 4% more awake or something <laughs> than I did before I went and readier to, readier to help, right? Readier to do what I can to make the changes that we need to make. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about your experience. What a wonderful opportunity. And we really appreciate that you shared it with us. Well, thank you so much. What a delight. You've been a uh, gracious host, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Sherry Wells-Jensen is an Associate Professor of Linguistics at Bowling Green State University and an Ambassador for Mission Astro Access. If you missed our conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Our technical producer is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful weekend. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.